Welcome to the Direct Farm Podcast, the weekly listen for farm selling direct. We're going to talk about the four levers for farm success, quality, brand, price, and convenience. We're going to hear from outside industry experts and producers like you in order to delight customers, to save time, and to grow your direct sales and business. We're glad you're here. All right, welcome back, everybody. My name is Emma. This week, we're going to kick off the next four episodes by talking about each of the keynotes that happened at the 2020 Direct Farm Conference. And that was our virtual free event that happened on August 4th. We recapped the whole thing last week, but over the next four episodes, we're going to really dig in on each of the keynotes. And they were on each of the four levers for farm success, which you heard in the intro, but again, those are quality, brand, price, and convenience. And we're going to start with quality today. We do this on purpose, and you are going to hear from the speaker, Paul Dorrance, why, but the gist is that we know that quality has to be the foundation of any farm business. So Paul joined us. He is a farmer himself at Pastured Providence. He's now transitioning to consultant work and working with Acres USA to put together a course called Proven Methods for Success in the Business of Farming. So this is Paul's session. We are going to listen back and break it down a little bit. It is called Quality, the Foundation for Your Farm Practices and Business. Hello, everyone from beautiful Southern Ohio. Uh, My name is Paul Dorns, and it's my distinct pleasure to present this keynote address on the topic of quality. I know I might be somewhat biased, but when you consider barn doors four levers of success, I think it's clear that quality is by far the most important. You can build an amazing brand, but without quality, your sales will fall short. Your price can vary greatly, but as long as you have quality there to support it. And convenience is indeed king in this world today, but only quality truly underpins, supports, and enables your success in the world of food and agriculture. Before I jump too far ahead, let me introduce myself. I was not a farmer from the beginning, although I definitely grew up country in the hills of upstate New York. I actually spent the first 12 years of my post-college career as an active duty Air Force pilot, flying three different types of aircraft over that 12-year span. During most of this time, I considered myself quote-unquote normal as far as food consumers go. And normal for mine means that I didn't care where the food came from. I made fun of the term organic, and in general, I trusted the system to provide the food at my convenience. It was only when my ex-wife got pregnant with our firstborn child that my views on food started to change. I mean, I was scared to death. I wanted to do what was right for that baby growing inside her, and so I began to read and explore and research all sorts of things, but most critical to our conversation today, food. What I found through that research scared me even more than becoming a first-time dad. I looked back at my life from that point and wondered, how could I have been so blind? And then I turned 180 degrees opposite and became one of those weird folks who chose differently. I began to seek out organic and local foods, support the farmers in my surrounding communities, and I found myself now deeply valuing what I had previously taken for granted. Fast forward four years, and it was very clear to me that my active duty lifestyle and I were done with each other. It was time to put my money where my mouth was literally, and begin producing this type of food for others that I had begun to seek out for myself. So in 2013, I found 111 acres on forsalebyowner.com and I started my pasture-based livestock operation from scratch. For the next seven years, pastured Providence Farmstead raised and sold grass-fed and finished beef and lamb, as well as pastured non-GMO pork, poultry, including turkey for Thanksgiving, and eggs. 
almost all of my products were sold directly to consumers via on-farm sales or various farmer's markets or custom cut by the half and whole animal. When my divorce was finalized earlier this year, uh, I found myself at a crossroads. I was running a one-man show that needed at least two people's efforts to thrive. And so I made the heartbreaking decision to sell my livestock. I now envision a future for myself where I'm able to educate, encourage, and equip others for even greater success than my operation enjoyed as a consultant, author, speaker, and good food advocate. When I had the opportunity to teach business planning to young and beginning farmers, one of the first things that I emphasize is the concept that values should always come first. It's the aspect of quality in our values that keeps us from falling into the trap of cutting corners. Without quality values, all human beings are prone to cheat or take shortcuts. But I think this is especially true within the world of agriculture. Agriculture, more than any other occupation that I'm aware of, has the ability to test our mettle and challenge our perceptions. In short, this lifestyle is tough. Generally speaking, our values become critical in the heartache, in the trauma, and in the emergency. And it's important to recognize that farming has way more of those than other occupants. I used to joke with friends that I would wake up in the morning on this gorgeous day, stretch long and hard, and wonder to myself what emergency the farm was going to throw at me that day. But one of the unique and enjoyable things about farming compared to other occupant, uh, occupations is that we generally get to call the shots and make decisions. Not always. Mother Nature and the good Lord always have the final say. But more than other jobs, we often get to chart our own path. The trap here is that there is usually no one watching when we're tempted to cut corners, take the easy way out, and cheat the system. Without, or sometimes in spite of, our values, this represents a real struggle. Paul makes a great point here, and it seems so intuitive, but is ultimately so difficult as well. And he understood that. It's one thing to define your values. It's another thing to adhere to them in times of crisis. Here's the example he offered. Early one spring, as I wrestled with the reality that my cattle were dealing with mites, which are little critters that cause skin irritations, hair loss, and stress, the cattle were patchy, ugly, and ornery. And I suppose I would have been too if I were them. The normal or easy way to combat mites is to use a chemical poron that kills pretty much everything. Fleas, ticks, lice, internal worms, and yes, mites. It is also extremely harmful to the environment. Gets excreted in the manure and kills earthworms, dung beetles, and a multitude of beneficial creatures in your pasture. Even knowing that, I succumbed to the lie that it was too much trouble to dust the cattle with diatomaceous earth or too expensive to run out and buy a scratching post to allow the animals to remove the mites themselves. Instead, I went against my values, I treated with ivermectin, and in that one moment of weakness, I single-handedly wiped out every dung beetle on my property for the next three years. After that, my values formally included that I would never use a product that isn't specifically authorized by USDA organic standards, even though I'm not certified organic. This was an easy way for me to draw a line in the sand communicate value to my customers, and elevate my values above the temptation of taking the easy way out. Knowing your values, and equally as important, writing them down, gives your business strength, vision, and power. The only way we farmers can stand in the face of isolation, risk, and tragedy that's part of our day-to-day -day life is to cling to our values, and they have to be identified and codified before they are needed. In the middle of the difficulty, it's the wrong time to determine what we stand for. We're too weak and fallible for that. When the cattle were in the chute that spring day, that was the wrong time for me to decide whether chemical treatments were right for me or not. 
we have to realize that our goals and our plans must be built on a foundation of quality values. Only then can we farm to our full potential, communicate accurately with our customer base, and mitigate the troubling times that farming will certainly bring our way. And with our foundations, value foundations specifically firmly in place, we are best equipped to care for our ground. After speaking on defining one's values and adhering to them, especially in times of question or crisis like the example he just provided, Paul turned to talk about quality in stewardship and soil health. And I'll let him explain where his inspiration for stewardship and his understanding of soil health comes from as well. But I think as you're thinking about this for your farm, remember too that the conscious consumer, the person who is going online and searching local sustainable food as keywords, also cares about your stewardship. And not only is it an important aspect of your quality, but it is also an important aspect of your brand. And so we saw with the Acres USA data that we were lucky to collect as part of the conference as well, that more farms were very deliberately defining their practices as sustainable, uh, or if they were organic certified advertising that. Just keep in mind that these stewardship practices are not only significant to your farm, but really significant to your buyers as well. Normally, we think that quality starts with products, but I think we need to think bigger than that. In fact, I actually think we need to think smaller than that. Before customer interactions come or products get listed for sale, quality starts beneath our feet. As farmers, we follow a high calling. When I describe this concept to myself and others, the words that I seem to gravitate towards are uh, feel ancient or old world. Words like caretaker, steward, and partner. My tagline for the farmstead was that I partner with creation to produce healthy food. And I love that. So let's go back to the stewardship one for, uh, and concentrate on that. By definition, the word stewardship means to be responsible for, maintain order, to look after, and to care for. Doesn't that sound like the force that drives us? Doesn't that sound like a concept that should be grounded on a foundation of quality? Quality stewardship practices result in good soil and imply an intimate relationship with our ground. And I know that might seem ephemeral, so let's take a look at what that looks like in practice. Obviously, there's lots of sources for this kind of guidance, but today I'm going to go to the good book and read from Mark 4, verses 3 through 8, which is the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower goes like this. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which, fell, uh, which grew up excuse me, and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on, and here it is, good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Noah Sanders, in his book, Born Again Dirt, which I highly recommend, answers the question, what does good soil look like? His answer, directly from the book, says that, and he comes up with four attributes uh, for good soil. Loose, deep, weed-free, and living. Noah writes, in the parable of the sower, we saw that the compacted soil of the path was not suitable for growing. We also see in creation that plants grow better in soil that is loose, not hard. 
This allows space for water and air in the soil that is necessary for drainage, roots, and soil life. Therefore, good soil should not be compacted and should be loose. We also see in the parable of the sower that the shallow soil was not good because it didn't allow the plant's roots to go deep and they died from lack of water. Deep soil allows the roots of the plants to reach down and access water in the soil below the drier surface. Deep soil also allows for more water to be stored in the soil rather than running off. Therefore, good soil should be deep. The third place the seed in the parable was sown was among the thorns. These weeds competed for water and nutrients and choked the plants. Many times weeds don't kill the plants that were growing, but their competition causes them to be unfruitful. Therefore, good soil should be relatively weed-free. And contrary to what most of us would think, good soil isn't just a sterile growing medium that is dark in color. No, if you go and look at the rich soil in the woods, you'll see that it's crawling with life. These microorganisms break down raw materials in the soil and make them available to the plants. Without the life in the soil, plants will not be as healthy as they might be because they can't access very many nutrients. In scripture, we see that life is good and death is bad, so I, and this is Noah speaking, believe that good soil would indicate soil with life in it. Therefore, good soil should be living. By ensuring quality in our stewardship practices, we can ensure that we are working with good soil healthy soil, living soil. Have you ever stopped to think about soil as healthy or living or even as an organism in general? Well cared for soil is teeming with life. A single handful contains millions of living organisms, everything from fungi and bacteria and nematodes that we can't see to earthworms and beetles and centipedes that we can. If this is true and we have accepted the calling to steward the life on our farm, then the obvious question becomes, how do we care for these millions of organisms beneath our feet? Well, my answer to the question is to go back what any living animal needs to survive, food, water, shelter, and I will add rest. So let's think about that for a minute. Food, for the soil food web beneath our feet, the basis of food is organic matter, decomposing carbon. So we kind of have this issue where we have a choice to make. We can either feed those organisms naturally with what they what they normally get? Or what do we take an artificial approach and, and attempt to simulate that food in some sort of nature through a chemical approach? And water, as Noah mentioned in the book, the way that we avoid water uh, issues and we provide water for those living organisms is by avoiding compaction. That allows not only the water to sink in instead of flowing across a, a field or pasture or ground, but it allows the actual roots and the structure of the soil itself to capture that water, release it slowly, and use it in times of need. And shelter. We should strive to always have something growing at all times in our ground and avoid at all costs bare soil, whether that's perennial pasture, whether that's a cover crop, or mulch. There are a multitude of ways that we can do that, but we need to provide shelter for the living organisms beneath our feet. And then finally, rest. We know rest is good for humans. I don't function very well without it, uh, but it's also good for the land. We need to work in, within a normal crop rotation, a period of being fallow, whether that's a season or a year. In that fallow, that, that rest allows natural processes to take place that which rejuvenate and energize the, uh, the microorganisms uh, in the soil. I believe, ultimately, resting our land counterintuitively 
allows land to be more productive than if we continue to push it in production. Ensuring quality soil allows us to produce, excuse me, allows us to pursue production of a quality product. On my farm, I ensure food, water, shelter, and rest for my soil using rotationally grazing uh, perennial pasture. I like to call grass the original cover crop. Before cover crops were sexy, before no-till was a thing, there was grass. In fact, the grassland biome covers 30 to 40% of Earth's surface. Quality grass management offers a multitude of benefits. First and foremost, perennial pasture, pasture maintains and ensures constant roots in the soil at all times. I may harvest the top of the um, above surface, whether it's mechanical harvest via hay or, or uh, harvest with the animals, but the root structure below ground, constant all the time, uh, adjusting and correcting and, and growing, um, which, as we've already mentioned, captures and slows water um, across it. And it also provides a constant shelter for those uh, organisms beneath the soil. Uh, animal impact has a huge piece on, on my farm, which honestly kind of has a bad rap uh, these days. And it's because uh, normal animal impact, when viewed, uh, adds to compaction, adds to um, negative disturbance. But animal impact in a rotational grazing scenario, not only do they manure and feed the animals directly, uh, but they also smash down and crush what they don't eat, which... Uh, increases carbon soil contact and accelerates the process uh, of feeding uh, the microbiome in the soil. And there is such a thing as beneficial disturbance. Hoof pressure in action uh, almost, in, in some sense, tills and, and activates the soil beneath it, as long as it's not done over a long period of time, which comes to the third thing that I wanted to talk about, which is rotational grazing. Rotational grazing takes that beneficial animal impact and moves it across a certain piece of land but does not allow the negative aspects of animal impact to take place. So I don't have the compaction associated with animals coming to the same tree every single day to shelter from the sun and compacting the area around it. I don't have the pathways through the fields where the animals select uh, where they go, and so you end up with this severe compaction routes across a continuously grazed pasture. Instead, my land is allowed to have the, the beneficial impact of the animals and then the rest that comes after it. And it also mitigates things like parasites. Um, all of the, the manure gets left behind and you move animals onto a clean set of pasture every single day in my case. And so you don't have that issue that I mentioned before where um, I had to fall prey to uh, using chemical adjustments for, for parasites. And the rotational grazing uh, does that for me. After talking about stewardship and soil health, Paul turned his attention to talk about quality and products. And he talks both about the livestock he's raising, his end product being grass-fed beef, for example, but also in the forage that they're grazing on and how that directly impacts the quality of the end product. He gives a very cool example about a multi-species synergy that I want you to be listening for. We'll jump in there too. Next, I wanna talk about diversity. Diversity is recognized as beneficial in all sorts of different areas, including finances and investing. Why not agriculture? My friend Will Harris said it best when he said, nature abhors a monoculture. And this has multiple uh, different uh, iterations on my farm, both forage and livestock. By having a diversity of forage species, I better utilize uh, the grass by use by different animals. So my cattle will eat certain things, the sheep will eat something totally different. 
And so I'm able to better utilize my forage overall because of the diversity of species. And the diversity addresses a seasonal slump that I have to deal with. For example, if I had all cool season perennials right now, um, as we approach the end of July and into August with 90 degree days, uh, the, that forage is going to go dormant. Um, but because I have a wide diversity of, of forage types, I have warm season perennials that are coming up as well. So as the um, some plants go dormant, the others are just coming into their own. And so you have this concept of, of addressing seasonality and, and temperature differences and climatic issues with diversity of forage species. And then I also have a multi-species uh, livestock operation, and those synergies are so cool to think about. I have a flirt where ca cattle and sheep, as you can see in this picture, are uh, run together. And cattle, if they ingest a sheep parasite internally, that parasite dies inside them. If a sheep ingests a, a parasite that would typically uh, bother the cattle, that parasite dies inside the sheep. They are end hosts for each other's parasites. How cool is that? And in general, you get better forage utilization. In fact, listen up cattle people who don't have sheep. You can add one ewe for every cow on your operation for free. No adjustment in operation, no change in paddock size, and that is solely because you, the animals select and utilize different forage species within your existing pasture. So you get better overall utilization of your pasture and more livestock uh, pressure and more livestock uh, per acre. Uh, I use poultry to follow my flirt, and so I not only do they add their own manure, but they also spread the manure of the large ruminants that went ahead of them. So I don't have to worry about mechanical um, uh, spreading manure. I don't have to harrow. I don't have to run equipment to, to clean up those pastures. And those uh, chickens are eating fly larvae, uh, which reduces pest pressure and disease potential within my herd. These are just some of the things that, uh, that I take advantage of through multi-species synergies because of this overall concept of diversity. All right, right there. So whether or not you knew that to be the case, I can guarantee you that your customers probably did not. And so this is a great example of a really cool post, a story on Instagram, um, a piece of educational content that really gets your customers invested in your quality practices and begets them thinking about the intention and really the science that's behind the stewardship and the quality in product that you are raising. And then finally, one of the last benefit that I wanted to talk about from a grass perspective is the seasonality. So for me in Southern Ohio, April, May, and June are just this gorgeous, lush pasture full of clovers and and, uh, and high energy forages. And that's what I finish my grass finished animals, uh, beef and lamb together uh, on in that sort of rush of amazing um, uh, forage. So I'll finish those animals on what I call the cow candy. And then when they all get processed at, um, towards the end of July or August timeframe, as that forage begins to decrease in, in value, uh, it's okay because I'm now only breeding, uh, excuse me, maintaining my breeding herd at that point. So I'm able to work within the seasonality of the structure because of that. So grass for me is the foundation of my products quality that my customers are seeking. They're seeking non-chemical. They're seeking grass finished. They're seeking humanely raised products. So grass is my answer, but it's not the only one. You need to find what answers is uh, available to you, whether that's cover cropping, uh, especially if you're using mechanical termination instead of a chemical um, termination of that cover crop, 
or maybe you're pursuing uh, or transitioning to organic in terms of grains and fruits and vegetables. Whatever your product, ultimately quality must be foundational to our farm businesses. It's it provides an alternative to fast and cheap. Our food tastes better and is way more nutritious. Our customers are demanding it, and that allows us to take advantage of and provide a market differentiation. But more importantly, I believe we must demand it of ourselves and strive for quality on principle alone, because quality impacts, affects, and is intertwined with all aspects of our farming efforts. Our values need to be rooted in quality. Our stewardship should be driven by quality. Our soil health is cared for with quality, and our products will be recognizable because of the quality that was in them. No matter whether we've been farming for five years, five months, or 50 years, we can all make quality the foundation for our business. We need to keep our values strong, firm, and front and center in both our strategic and operational decisions. Out of the power of our values, we'll be better able to steward our land, to love and care for it, along with the millions of organisms that call our soil home. And it will be because of that love and care that we show our soil that our farm products will be recognized by consumers across the globe for their ecological production methods, amazing taste, and superior nutritional value. Thank you so much to the attendees of the Direct 2020 Conference for your attention and for making the time to attend this conference virtually. Thank you to Barn to Door for all of their work putting this conference together and for asking me to keynote on this very important topic. And thank you to Yank Acres USA for connecting me with Barn to Door and for allowing this opportunity to take hold. Uh, that reminds me, Acres USA is developing online courses, uh, which are available on a multitude of topics. The one that I'm writing is called Proven Lessons for Success in the Business of Farming. If you're looking to dig in more to the chemistry and the biology and geology of soil health, I would recommend going to acresusa.com. They have online courses like the one Paul is offering, as well as a library of books and other resources on soil health. They know what they're talking about. And so if that's something you're interested in learning more on, they are a great place to start. As I mentioned at the beginning, my new vision for Pasture Province is to encourage and educate and equip both new and seasoned farmers for success in pasture-based livestock. I have consulting options available, and if that's anything that would be beneficial to you in your future operations, please visit my website, pastureprovidence.com, for more details. Again, thank you so much for your time. Let's all strive to make quality the foundation of our business, driving our success in the world of food and agriculture. Paul ties it up so beautifully at the end. That quality moves through your values to your stewardship, into soil health, and ultimately into the quality of your products, which is the reason that customers recognize local farms, that their food simply tastes better uh, and is produced more carefully and more responsibly. So we were thrilled that Paul kicked off the conference, and we do this on purpose. Like we've said, like he said, quality is the foundation, but we're going to begin to build on that over the next three weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about brand. We're going to hear from Nona Jones. She is the head of faith-based partnerships at Facebook and has some very cool insights on how to use digital channels, which is where your customers are six hours a day at least nowadays. Uh, and she is going to tell you how to bring those really authentic, close connections that you make with customers in person and how to bring those online and make them work for your farm. 
So stay tuned, have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon.